Anyway, we're, this morning we're concluding our series titled Making Room. And this multi-part series looked at some of the things that prevent us from being truly prepared for the gift of God's grace that was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the season of preparation is called Lent. And as always, each of these Sunday morning messages, I said, including a special message from Ash Wednesday, are available online so we can, we can hear them again. But as a visual reminder, I continue to use the same slide. And um, it's a glass of water, and whether you look at it as half full or half empty, the fact is half of it is occupied, right? And it simply can't hold anything else in that spot because that much is already taken up. And therefore, we need to make room to accept the wonderful gift of grace to us through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first message in the series looked at the biggest bears, in my opinion, that we face, and that's forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving ourselves, and accepting God's forgiveness of us. Because to forgive is to show love, and love is the most important thing we can give to our friends and our families and strangers and even ourselves. So often we withhold forgiveness from others or think we aren't worthy of forgiveness or we don't ask for forgiveness. And that can really take up this space that we need to have for the ultimate forgiveness on the cross. And last week we looked at faith and scripture reminded us that faith is confidence in the hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. See, faith gives us confidence and courage and we have faith in God because of his promises. And we also have faith because of the assurance of his love for us. And this morning, as we conclude, we're going to look at what Scripture says about love as we continue to pray for, pray, prepare for Easter by making room for the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And just as with forgiveness, you must make room to be loved. You must love others, and you must love yourself. And at any given moment, you likely struggle with one or more of these. I certainly do. You, you may feel unlovable because of the way that a person or situation has made you feel. You may not love someone else for the very same reasons or because you feel they have wronged you. You may struggle with loving yourself because of the negative self-talk that you hear and you convince yourself of. And one of these can take up space that not only is better served by something else, but actually belongs to God. Let's be honest, too. These things rob you of joy. And we know that God wants you to experience joy in your life. It's the psalmist who writes in 1611, you make known to me the path of life. He's talking to God. He says, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And it's Jesus' own words from John 10, 10 that tells us that he came so that we may have life and have it abundantly, okay? A full life with all that includes joy. Just like any good father, he wants us to enjoy this life. The blessings, even, even the nature outside the window, it's joy. It brings joy. We know that love is important because Jesus came to teach it. And like every word that he spoke, he modeled it for us. And you're likely familiar with the words from Scripture. Remember that Patrick read from 1 Corinthians 13. And it describes what real love is and also really what love isn't. And these passages are often read at a wedding. And this isn't by accident or, or coincidental. Through Christ's sacrifice, closeness with the Father can be restored and sins forgiven. Through Christ's atonement, we are presented to God with purity. And while God's covenant relationship with the Israelites remained, these are the Old Testament promises. Remember, these aren't replaced. These are added to by Jesus. Even though these remain through his son, Jesus, he formed a new covenant, a new covenant with all believers that call him Lord. And those who believe are called the church. 
Now, today we call the building a church, right? This is the church. We, we're going to go up to the church this afternoon. In fact, many buildings where people gather to worship don't resemble what one might call a church. You know, we're fortunate. We have a sanctuary and a cross, but they don't all look that way. The truth is that a church is this universal collective, and I don't mean to make it um, sterile, but it's, 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 it's a group of people that call Jesus their Lord and Savior. We are the church. The church is all over the world today celebrating and worshiping and praising. The church started back before there were buildings, you know, in the, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament when Paul was writing letters to the early church. They were meeting in homes. They were the church spread in places like Thessalonica and Ephesus, these, these letters that Paul wrote about. Even governments can muddy this definition by considering any religious organization a church. But true church, true church, is this universal collection of believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And the NIV uses the word church 114 times. I'm going to read them to you real quick. (laughs) Thank you. I won't. Um, The King James Version uses 111 times. The word church appears in the Bible, and it's always in the New Testament. That is because is where um, where the life and teaching of Jesus are recorded. The church is Jesus' church. In fact... Most often it's in the book of Acts. Acts kind of establishes the church. And I didn't find a single reference to church as a structure. So with this in mind, consider this. Christ promised to be faithful to the church. He described his expectation for the church's relationship as his bride and himself as the bridegroom. You've probably heard that. This reference not only affirms the power and importance of love in a marriage, very important, but also the strong commitment to the relationship that should exist as well. We're to love each other as Christ loved the church. And the verses from 1 Corinthians described a perfect love, God's kind of love, the ideal love, right? Can you imagine loving others and being loved like this? It would change your life. It would change the world, right? If we could love without hesitancy, without reservation, without condition. We as humans cannot love perfectly as God does because we are imperfect, But we should strive to love others in a way that reflects these qualities. And everyone needs this type of love. I'll actually add, everyone deserves this kind of love. But when we expect it from another person, we get disappointed, hurt, let down. And that's when that stuff creeps in that kind of keeps us from forgiving others, right? They don't deserve my love. And we, we talked about this during the Bible study. There's so many kinds of love. You know, there's agape love, which is... God's love. There's um, the, the kind of love that is between a family member. There is a, a, the love between friends. There's, there's all these, these kind of loves. There's the lusty love, you know, eros, um, phileo, and, and the other types of love. So when God says you're supposed to love everyone, there's an appropriate type of love for each kind of person. But you are to love everyone. But God is the only one who can love you perfectly. And, and when you have a relationship with God and you allow yourself to experience his love, It empowers you to love others the way that God loves you. And I don't want to overlook the power of loving yourself that same way. Aren't we our toughest critics? Boy, you think it's hard to love other people. Sometimes it's really hard to love ourselves if we're honest. But there's a lot of advantages to this kind of true love. 1 John 14 reminds us, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Boy, how would life be different if you weren't afraid or hesitant? When you fully experience God's love, you have nothing to fear. This ties in so closely to faith we studied last week. 
Do you have faith in God's love for you? Do you have faith that God wants you to experience joy as you live your life abundantly? Do you have faith that he is in control? If you believe these things, and you should, then you can courageously exclaim David's words from Psalm 27 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Friends, don't hear those words and think, I want to be like that because God loves you and you are like that. Just stake that claim. Claim that promise. And I, I, we sit there and we think, I don't know what's happening with the economy, my job, my health, my finances, my relationship. I'm, but I'm afraid. You know, I'm anxious. You know, we, we were here a year ago about this time and just inklings of the pandemic were starting. And we were getting a little nervous, but certainly we became more nervous as time went on. Right? And rightfully so, we should be cautious and, and, and be good stewards of our health and, and those around us. But God says, I've got this. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Church, church, stake that claim for yourself. The Lord goes before you. Do not be afraid. He will not forsake you. Do not be discouraged. And when you claim this level of security in your relationship with God, nothing can separate you from God's love. Romans 8, Paul's letter, I'm not going to read this, but you guys know this. Nothing can separate. No high, high, low, low, angel, demon. He, he has this exhaustive list of like nine things, all to say nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And God is more powerful than anything in heaven or on earth. So this isn't an empty promise. When you accept Jesus' invitation, and yes, this is a choice. It requires an action on your part, but when you accept Jesus' invitation to begin a relationship with God, you are secure in his love forever. You're locked in. There is nothing powerful enough to separate you from God's love. Even when things are difficult or you feel far from God, it's not because God stopped loving you. The truth is that God will never stop loving you. The tough time you're going through, the seemingly absence of God's working life, these are not God withdrawing his love from you. It's not him withholding some blessings. That's not how God works. And these aren't my words. These are his words from scripture. And it's not even punishment. Trust in the Lord and don't rely on your own perspective or understanding. That's scriptural. The truth is that God's love is too great to fully understand. And this is why Jesus had to teach it and model it. But even we could not grasp this concept fully. Even his disciples who were with him and saw the miraculous things and all that, they doubted from time to time. They questioned from time to time because it's human nature. And we should not try to model just because, I mean, we should not, not try to, to model just because we can't comprehend it. We shouldn't say it's, that's too big of a task to grasp. I mean, you don't say I have an important goal and I'm going to say 78% because that's probably the best I can do. If you want to do something, goal is 100%, right? Our goal of love in other people, 100% of people. Now, we're going to struggle with that. We're not going to hit that 100%, but that doesn't mean our goal should be 65% because there's that 35% that, I was checking the math in my head, that's what that look was. Um, there's that 35% that, that we, you know, question or don't think deserve it. It doesn't work that way, okay? Same with her. We should love ourselves 100% of the time. We should try to do the right thing. We should not sin 100% of the time, right? But when we struggle, we don't go, hmm. I guess I should just try 90%. No, no. 
God sent his son who, although blameless, accepted the punishment for our sins and laid down his life for us. And if we are honest, we can't fully understand why he would do that. But don't let that be mistaken or lead to thoughts of doubt about his love or your worth because both are immeasurable. Paul writes in one of his letters to the church in Ephesus, this is from Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. And he says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. He's not saying don't try just because you can't comprehend it. He's saying that is my wish for you. Let's try to understand how wide, how long, how deep. And he says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Remember, he came so we'd have a life abundantly. Now, God's love, it creates a shield surrounding you and keeps you safe. And it's one of the things we prayed for with, with these people that are facing cancer diagnoses and surgery. We're saying, Lord, protect them. Put a hedge of protection around their, their body, their health, their spirit. So God protects his children like any good father does. And loving others, loving yourself means you're affording them the same protections. And this is easier for us to consider those people we love dearly, Right? Sherry, you're, you're the epitome of a mama bear, right? Don't mess with my kids. Right, yeah. But, it, it, but this applies to everybody. We should be that tenacious about protecting others. And I'm not saying we shouldn't harm them. It it's, goes beyond not harming, but actual protecting them from harm as well. That's how much we are to care and love other people. But this, again, means you too. Sometimes people have self-destructive behaviors. Maybe you've had that in your life. Maybe you've struggled with it in your life. We may think that, that self-destructive is something physical, like, you know, I'm a cutter, you know, and, and, or um, developing an unhealthy habit or, or maybe even a reckless or harmful behavior. But they may not be physical acts. You can harm yourself with negative self-talk. You can beat yourself down by, by really just being so self-critical to the point that you no longer believe in your value, the value that isn't defined even by you, but by God, okay? So we need to protect ourselves as well. And that's why Paul talks about the armor of God, all these pieces of armor that are not only offensive weapons, but defensive weapons against these things, right? And we studied in this message titled Reflected in Truth, where we talked about viewing ourselves as other and others as God sees us in them. And if this is a struggle for you, if you struggle with negative self-talk, if you struggle with a physical, you know, I don't want to say beating, but if, you, if you're that hard on yourself, I want, you need to ask for help. It's okay. It's humbling. But whether it's professional help or, or, or a friend, a trusted friend or, or me, it's an opportunity to say, I am so hard on myself. I don't see myself as God does. I... I, I keep doing these, these things because I can't believe that God or anybody would love me. Friends, God does. God says, and these aren't my words. I'm just, I'm just telling you what I read. And you have the opportunity to read the same thing. This is truth. This is truth. And if this is not a struggle, you have praise God, honestly. But be aware of your, our human tendencies and keep an eye on those around you. You may be the hope and help that someone else needs. God's love, it's so much more than this warm, fuzzy feeling that we associate with love. Oh, I love, I'm in love. His love is a powerful force. 
and it's protecting and comforting and it overcomes evil and it overcomes sin. And, and being in God's love is a position not just of joy, but of safety, of confidence, of, of power because you're in his name. And when you run to God for protection, he surrounds you with a shield of his love. Okay, that's a great place to be. And this isn't something just for the elite few. I mean, God has designed this for all of us, made possible through his son. Here's something else about it. God chose to adopt you because he loves you. It was a choice. He said, you are my children. I have chosen you to be my child. In fact, Ephesians 1, 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God chose you. He had a choice. He says, I want you and I want you to want me back. And he loved you so much that he did that while, while we were all still rebelling against him, while we were sin and imperfect. In fact, Romans 5, 8, you'll know this. So God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now this exemplifies the unconditional aspect of his love, of true love. He didn't wait. He didn't expect anything in return. In fact, he knew that we would blow it regularly, right? No matter how much you've messed up or how far you, away you feel from God, he still loves you and he wants that close relationship with you. He's right there reaching his hand out. If you don't see him, you're turned the wrong way. You do not need to change or be in a better place before you come to God. He will help you change, right? And get to a better place. This is a part of the commitment that was fulfilled through his son and continues even today through the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. His work wasn't accomplished just on the cross. He said, it is finished, but he didn't say it was done, right? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And then he sent a helper. He said, I'm, I'm going ahead because I'm gonna send a helper. I'm gonna have my father send someone, the Holy Spirit, that still resides and works in us today. Likewise, don't wait for someone to deserve your love. Don't expect your spouse to be a better husband or wife before you show them the kind of love you vowed to show. Don't be so hard on yourself and withhold love from yourself because you keep messing up. Love yourself with grace and mercy. Love others with grace and mercy. This is why the first message in series, I talk so much about forgiveness because it can become such a huge stumbling block. If we can't get to the point where we can forgive, even when they don't ask for it, even when they don't know they messed up, if we can't ask for God's forgiveness, then, then we aren't even gonna get to the point of understanding and grasping love from God for love or for another person. You see, it's God's love that allows us to change and, and grow into the person he wants you to be. Is change possible? Absolutely. Some things are tougher and a lot of things need his help, not our own. You can't power through and willpower through some of the toughest stuff. But see, God loves you just as you are, but he also loves you enough to not let you stay where you're at if you're not where he wants you to be. He wants to see you grow and change for the better and he'll stretch your faith. He'll put you in situations and, and we call these risky prayers, right? Where you say, God, teach me patience. Oh, traffic, you know. God, help me have more faith. Okay, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this happen because he wants to grow you. It's, it's not a punishment. It's a growing process. And he sent Jesus to die for your sins so this would be possible. When you receive God's forgiveness and accept God's help, you can begin to work towards positive, lasting, true change. 
Now he's patient. The scripture says it says, God is patient, not as we understand patience. He says he's waiting for everybody to come to, to him. And he's invested in the lessons we must learn in both times of adversity and in times of abundance. He's invested. He's invested his son. He's invested the Holy Spirit. He has invested himself. And, and this is another way that God acts as a loving parent towards you. Parents love their kids as they are, not just as they want them to be one day, right? That's their hope. And they're going to encourage them and encourage us. I'll include my, myself in this. But even if they have a toddler that never listens and regularly has meltdowns in public and there's something about Walmart that their brain falls out, I mean, that is the place. This is, I'm going off script here, but I'll tell you my trick. And this, we don't have young parents in here, but this is, a, a, this is a good one. I would say, this is back when you could buy stuff for this. I would have my kids pick out one thing, very first thing for about a dollar. For my daughter, it was like really cheap nail polish or chapstick. My son was a Hot Wheel. They got it. They got to carry it in their hand the entire time we went in the store. And the second they got unruly, and I don't mean not acting like kids. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They had to do the walk of shame. And they had to walk in front of the cart and they had to go put that back. You know, and, and that's what we did. But anyway, I digressed. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. Kids are bad. No, kids are good. We love them. Um, that's the same. They want to see their children grow, right? And learn. I didn't do that to be punishment. I wanted them to learn that, that there's certain ways to act and rewards and consequences. Good parents love their kids enough to set limits, to give them guidance and walk beside them to the good and the bad. And God has set laws, right? The Ten Commandments were laws. They're loving limits. It's not thou shalt not because he doesn't want us to have fun. He wants to keep us safe from evil, from each other, from doing bad things. You know, and then, and then Jesus didn't come and say, these Ten Commandments don't count anymore. He says, let me explain them a little better, right? The Sermon on the Mount, almost every one of these lines said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But let me tell you, this is what it means. It's not just thou shalt not stab. It is, you know, when you're harsh with your words, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what you've heard. But let me tell you what adultery is. It's not just what you did, but these thoughts too. He explains it. And then he adds a couple new commandments, right? Love one another. Go, make disciples of all nations. They didn't replace the old law. They expanded on it. He didn't, often what he, Jesus said in his own teaching was his father's words. His father's words. He didn't come replace the old covenant. He came to make a new one. And God does this for you. Once you choose to begin a relationship with him, you experience his forgiveness. This allows you to let go of negative aspects of your personal life and history and move towards positive change. And I'll tell you, you'll stumble along the way. And try harder Christianity does not work. It is the one of the devil's best tools. I'll try harder. Oh, I messed up. I'll try harder. No, it, it doesn't work. There was a pastor who shared a story about a, uh, a, he had a VW bus and, and had a flat tire. And all he had was a lug wrench that he borrowed and it didn't fit. And he was going to try harder, try harder, try harder. And what happened now, his problem wasn't a flat tire. The problem is five strip lug nuts, Right. Try harder Christianity doesn't work. Try with the right tools, right? We're all equipped with these. <clears throat> like any good father, he offers help, right? He has the right tools. He celebrates your successes. He shares in your sorrows. He really does. When we're praying and we're saying, gosh, I, I, we're, we're mourning the loss of this baby, God's like, I know, it's terrible. And that kind of love connects us to him intimately, to be that honest and loving others, loving yourself in the same way as what connects us with each other. And, and design, God designed you to be in a relationship with him and in fellowship with others. You know, whether you claim to be not a people person, right? What does Jacob say? I'm all friended up. 
He's like, I'm all friended up. I don't need him. God actually wired us to be people persons, right? He did. He did. And, and God is love. And so our love for others, it points to him, right? Whether we say it or not, the amount of love that he has towards us overflows and it touches those around us. It points others to him. This overwhelming sense of love, of peace, of confidence and courage, even if people don't know what it is, they kind of lean in a little bit. You know, there's something about that. That person, they're so positive, they're so upbeat, they're so, you know, whatever it is. And if you're that person, fantastic. Do you know why it is? Be prepared to share that. That's the good news. And this is why it is so important to prepare in this way for the gift of salvation made attainable through the cross. Now, as I start to wrap up here, it says the series has looked at three potential obstacles to being prepared to receive the gift of grace, forgiveness, faith, and trust in God, and love. And there are likely others. Um, you know, there's probably things that you can think of that take up space that belongs to God. And, and some of these are physical things or activities. And that's why some people practice fasting and Lent, giving some of these up, not just because it's an excuse to, to do something you should already be doing, like I really shouldn't be eating that. But it's also saying, this has something of value and importance. I spend a lot of time on Facebook or wherever it is. So I'm going to take that time and I'm going to set aside and I'm going to give it to you. Okay. There's probably something in your mind, in your life that you can think of that may be taking up space and pray about that and think about what that is. We have a couple weeks left before Resurrection Sunday, before Easter. And this whole point of Lent isn't just to create a new holiday. It's about preparing ourselves for what's about to happen and what we get to do and benefit and bless from it. So let me ask you a question. This is a trick question, so you're safe in answering it. Do you deserve salvation? Yes. Yes, and they, I know you're saying no, and, and we don't. And the truth is, we don't deserve. Grace is, is unearned. That is the truth. But you do deserve salvation because that, that has been paid. That has been paid. That is what Jesus came to do. He was nailed to the cross. And because of that, you were made righteous. Not because of anything you did, but because of what he did. Because of who he is, you deserve salvation. Don't doubt that. That's the good news. And Jesus' love is an example of what love and sacrifice means to others. And, and again, we're going to celebrate communion here in a minute. And what's so cool about communion about that night the last supper you know it's the scripture says that jesus knew that the father had given full authority over everything and that he had come from god and would return to god okay whether you believe he already knew this before that scripture is very clear that he knows who he is and what he came to do right you know if he was me i'd be like huh, I'm, I'm pretty cool i'm pretty darn powerful you know um, and if it was me, I would hog all the grace because I need it. But he knew that grace needed to be shared. And, and what did he do, though? He got up, and it says he, he took off his robe, his cloak, and, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he did the lowliest thing, the lowliest servant in that room would do, which is wash their feet. Now, that may just sound disgusting at any, at any point, you know. Um, I love you, dear. Not on my bucket list. I'm sorry. 
Not, there's lim- not the limits to my love, but there's, I'll show you love by doing the dishes, and I'm sure you'll probably like it better. Um, but the, uh, oh, I said that out loud. Now I'm going to have to do the dishes, aren't I? <laughs> in church, in church. Oh, my God. I doing the dishes yesterday. I did do it, yes. Yeah. You can tell when Sherry's coming down. I'm like, got to clean, got to clean. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm the real reason we have a robot vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> I watched you manage that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Side note, yeah. Anyway, um, but he did. And, and the thing is this, you know, they walked around in sandals or maybe even barefoot, dusty roads, right? Not clean. And if you understand what these tables look like, it, it's not the seated position that you might picture at a dinner table. They were reclined, it says. They were usually propped up on an elbow, feet next to the other guy's face, okay? It was important, not just for hygiene and everything else, that the feet were clean. And the, the, the lowest servant would be responsible for cleaning the feet. Now, Jesus, keep in mind, is just given all authority, all knowledge of who he is, okay? And he gets up and he washes their feet. And some of them said, no, I'm not going to let you. He goes, no, no, I have to. And not only do I have to, you need to do this. And so it's just so important that we show love. And then there's books, you know, the, the five love languages that talks about this. And, and serving is, is one of those things. But serving is a way that everybody can show love, even if that is not your main thing. If you're, um, if, you know, if you like the hugs or you like the words of affirmation or the recreational companionship, all those things. But all those things show love. But serving another, just to, to humbly serve another is such a powerful way to show love. And, and again, in that season, we're called to do these things. We're called to do these things especially. But I want to I shift gears here in a second because this is the first Sunday. And as is a tradition in this church, we celebrate open communion. What that means, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate. And what we do is we, we not only commemorate, but we, we, we recall the story of what happened that night. You know, after he washed his feet, he sat down at the table and he took the bread and, and he held it and he, and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And I think it's important that you, you realize the symbolism of this. The bread must be broken in order to be consumed. And likewise, he took a cup and wine and he prayed and he gave thanks. And again, I want to point out, if Jesus, son of God, needed to pray, how much more do I? And he poured the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And what's really important is, as he said, this cup is the new covenant. Again, he didn't come to replace. He came to fulfill this new covenant. In addition to the old covenant promises that God had made to every single one of us, he makes a new covenant that says, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you come to the Father through me, there is a place for you. And he goes on and says, I will appear to you again. And this is not, I'm coming back. That's separate. He says, I will appear to you again. It's a wonderful story of hope. And because of that, we have a direct conversation, a direct line to God. We don't have to go through a hierarchy of, of anything. You don't have to pray to God through me, you know, put in a good word for that guy. I may be happy to do that with you or for you. But you can sit and you can close your eyes or leave them open at any given time and say, God, Thank you. God, help me. God, I'm worried about this. God, be with this person. He hears you. And he doesn't judge, right? Because he says, your sins have been forgotten. They've been nailed to the cross. I love you that much. You are my child. I hear you and I protect you. And I want good for you. 
That is the promise we claim. And that is what we celebrate when we take communion. Now, because of the ongoing pandemic, we don't do it in the traditional way anymore, but I'm sure he's going to bring around individual cups. And again, they have a, a little wafer, the bread, the body, and, and the juice, the wine. And as we partake this, this symbolizes, this symbolizes this Last Supper, an acceptance of this new covenant promise. And now wherever you're at in your walk with, in your faith, with, with your acceptance of Christ, he knows where you're at and he'll meet you exactly where you are. Every path leads to him. You just need to ask him to guide your steps. So if you'll pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Father God, we thank you that we can gather here as a church, not just a congregation here, but a global church of people who love you, who follow you, who believe you, and want to be just like you. Father God, we, we love the examples you've set we love the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, help us to use those for your good purpose in this kingdom and this world. Father, we are sorry for everything that went into those nails. But we thank you for the hope that we received as a result. We give this time to you. And as we listen to the song, may we reflect on your love towards us. Amen.